Welcome to Still Learning. We're teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. So let's get started because no one is perfect and we're all still learning. Hi, Maria. Hi, Katie. We wanted to start this episode off by talking about how we chose our name. So I love listening to podcasts and I never thought that I would have one, but when I started thinking about actually doing a podcast, to be honest, Maria was the first person who came to mind uh, to do it with. I knew I didn't want to do it by myself. Um, and there are lots of reasons that she was the person that I, I felt most comfortable doing this with. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But the name Still Learning just came from what I know about myself and what I know about her as partners in our classroom. So it's not just the two of us. For those of you who are parents at our school, who are listeners, you know that there are two other teachers that we actually co-teach with. um, And we're really only together for the whole group time, but we've known each other long enough to know that we both love learning. And even though we're adults, we know that we just are continuing to learn and strive to learn more, especially about early childhood. Yes, I agree, Katie. So (laughs) real truth, when Katie first mentioned podcast to me, I was very nervous. Uh, First, I was like, I don't really like listening to my voice being recorded. So why would I want other people to listen to it? And then the (laughs) second thought popped up in my head and I was like, uh, when in the world are we going to find time to do this on top of the other million things we're already juggling? But mm-hmm. then, you know, Katie gave me a little push. It seemed a little like we had a little plan going, a little more organized um, way of making it happen and come to life. And this made me think of how Katie and I are different in so many ways. Katie's more the logical, analytical person. She figures out the order of things, the outlines. And I more like add the feelings to it happening. So I was thinking, yes, on one hand, we are so opposite in some things. And but that's why we complement each other so well. And that's probably why Katie said earlier, I couldn't have thought of a better person or, you know, the first person that popped into my head was Maria. And I think that's because of this, that we complement each other so well. And while we're different in so many ways, one thing we are both. Um, the same about is we're both eager to learn. Yes. And speaking of learning, we are recording this podcast on October 5th, which we've found out late in the afternoon uh, is apparently World Teachers Day. So we just want to give a quick shout out to all the teachers out there. We know some of our parents are teachers, um, especially early childhood teachers for getting through the first month of school. September is tough. So we did it. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, what were we thinking saying we would record in September? Yeah. I told Katie the October, other day. Like, right? Yeah. Like I said, okay, yeah, this day, maybe not. Let's try tomorrow. Uh, let's try next week. Oh, maybe the weekend <laughs> will be better. I think things just keep happening. And at one point I said to Katie, uh, did we forget what September looks like in early childhood setting? And I thought of like, what is the best word to describe this? And it just comes down to it being busy. A lot is happening. We are getting to know new groups of children. We are trying to get to know the parents. 
parents are partnering with us and telling us things about their most precious children that um, we're teaching and taking care of. And yeah, it's a lot to juggle. Yes. So in this episode, we're going to start by taking a look at something that we've been really working on throughout the month of September, which is routines. And I just want to start off by saying that a good routine is, or the best routine, the best routine is one that suits your family. Yes. Katie and I say this to each others and have said to family so many times. And I feel like sometimes throughout you know, the course of teaching together and being friends, we remind each other of this because we forget. <laughs> and we're yeah. like, oh, we tried it. It's not working. And then we have to tell each other, do what works for you, family. Mm-hmm. And I like to add that, you know, remember that is at this stage of life. So whatever stage of life you're in and this is working right now, it's okay if your routine needs to change for whatever reason in the future, or if it's something that's working well and all of a sudden it's not like feel free to dig deeper and see what that there might be some change that's necessary to happen um looking back no matter what situation we talked about there were three key features that stood out first is that it needs to be well planned where everyone understands their roles um it's a regular routine so for example like everyday family life like going to bed And that it's predictable, that things happen in the same order each time. Yes. So routine is different from schedule, right? Schedule is connected to a time. We eat lunch at 12 o'clock at school. That's part of our schedule. But the routine includes things like after lunch, we have rest time or things that we say to children all the time. Like you heard us reference our routine in um, our separation anxiety episode where we were talking about mama will come pick you up after cleanup time or whatever part of the day is the last thing before the thing you're talking about happens. Um, And there are several reasons that routines are good for children. One of them being that it's not attached to time because they can't tell time, but they can tell what comes next in a routine. So it gives children a sense of safety as well as belonging. And then probably most importantly, next to safety, relationship. Yes, creating relationships made me think of our routines that we have in our classroom. And I wanted to share a little more about that. And talking Mm -hmm. about having the daily schedule and visual cards available. So like you said, children might not know the time, but they know that every time after coming in and playing what we call open center time, where they have a choice of what materials they're going to play with, that they might have to go wash their hands because it's their turn to have snack. Um, And then after Mm -hmm. that, they will go and do a song and a story and it will be their turn to have a bathroom break or things like that. But it happens going back to it being predictable that things happen in the same order each time they come to school. This helps them become more comfortable in our environment. And that's how relationships are created. So now that they know that they're comfortable in this environment where things happen same order each time, and these grownups, these teachers there have the same expectations every time they're there 
it equally creates trust and it helps build that relationship stronger. Mm -hmm. It also promotes responsibility for young children even. So it's things like putting away toys when you're finished using them or because it's cleanup time at school um, or maybe you have a cleanup time at home. That would be a great idea. Um, it also can promote healthy habits. So brushing your teeth, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed or both, <laughs> um, washing your hands after you use the bathroom. We've seen children, numerous children throughout the years that understand that routine. They know that when they're finished using the toilet, they walk to the sink and they wash their hands. It becomes ingrained in, the, in them. They're used to doing these steps in this order. So it's predictable. They know what to do next. Yes. And sometimes I know when, even from just talking to my friends, they're asking me, well, you know, you suggested visual cards, for example, I showed them the cards mm -hmm. and they're not doing it. It's not working. <laughs> I'll say <laughs> things like, well, you kind of have to teach them just like everything else, right? We're, they look up to us, we're modeling constantly language and actions for our children. But once you bring this new tool uh, or this new routine that you want to create, you have to teach them and show them each step of the way so that they understand what the expectation is. So, right. you know, just saying, yes, it does get ingrained into them a lot, but also this September, you know, month of September, oftentimes I hear the teachers are saying, oh, you, you know, looks like you forgot. <laughs> um, go back and wash your hands or just giving little reminders here and there throughout our day um, of the routines of what happens next and what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I like to also think about in thinking about routines is that it, it doesn't just benefit the children, it benefits the grownups as well. Going yes. back to thinking of how sometimes we, as you know, in our adult brains say like, I tried it, it's really not working. I have to remind myself constantly and this is why Katie's my go-to about reminding me that they take some effort and time to create and you have to be ready to follow through. Um, one thing I really struggle with my older son when he was like around three and four was cleanup time. You know, I created this great routine. I would give him a warning before all the things in the world I knew how to do as the early childhood educator, but it just wasn't happening. So then, you know, in talking to my colleagues and my coworkers, they would say, well, now is your turn to follow through. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I told them like 10 times, you know, and they said, no, I mean like <laughs> taking your, his hand and picking up toy by toy and putting it in the basket or wherever you're putting it away and picking it up together. And I was like, oh, that sounds like even more work. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> once I started doing it and, uh, following through and he knew that you know either you can clean up by yourself or I can help you it ended mm -hmm. up being me needing to do less and less each time and now that he's older and you know he has a younger sibling this end result is awesome <laughs> I'll just say oh in two minutes we'll clean up and now it's cleanup time and he's so confident and guess what that lowers my stress level and the efficiency because while they're cleaning up, I can be doing other things. Mm -hmm. And isn't that nice? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so home life, like you've been talking about and school schedules or routines, 
are going to consist of some type of transitions and transitions are when you're moving between two tasks, um, stopping, often stopping a preferred task and then beginning a non-preferred activity. So in our program, the biggest, most difficult transition that we ask children to do is shift away from that open center time where they are making their own choices and engaging in activities and with materials that they're choosing and moving to transitioning to an activity that we are directing. So the teacher directed activity is important. It's an important balance in our day, but it's a harder ask because it's our ideas and not the children's. So it can be a difficult ask for children. And sometimes we see some of those um, big emotions. Yes. And what Katie means by big emotions is screaming, yelling, (laughs) lots of crying. Yes. (laughs) Um, Especially in September. Yes. Yes. Especially. And we have this, you know, joke at first that maybe we need to bring earplugs, but now some (laughs) of the teachers are actually using the loops to, you know, lower the noise levels and yeah you just have to do what you have to do to get through it Mm -hmm. Um, in those moments even at school or at home it helps me to remember that this presence of challenging behaviors or you know screaming yelling crying is a form of communication for these children and trying to remind myself like this simply means I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing which mm-hmm. is what Katie was talking about. If I love Legos and I'm choosing to build with these Legos and now you're telling me I need to stop that, even though you gave me you know, a warning or told me that it's happening next, first I play with Legos, then I come and listen to the story, it, it, it's still difficult. And oftentimes we see that causing the flight or fight response in children and sometimes even in adults as well. <laughs> yes, so how do we support children during these tantrums or transitions um, when they're starting to have big feelings. We're, we're talking about the children that are not moving easily through the transition. So some of the language that we use is, um, is planned. We'll, we'll observe first, okay, this child is having a more difficult time with the transition. I get it. We're asking him to stop playing Legos, for example, and come and do our music time that we have created. So we obviously we work in a team and we talk with each other about what would work best for this child. Sometimes it is that little heads up about two minutes. We're going to be stopping Legos and we're going to need to move on to a large group time or in the moment, if that didn't work and the child is having the big feelings, we're talking to them in a gentle voice, staying calm ourselves while physically moving them to the space where we have our large group saying things like, I know it's hard, or you wanted to keep playing with Legos. Um, you can come back to it when you're finished kind of, um, assurance, letting them know or reminding them what is happening in the moment and then 
assuring them that you will have a chance to come back to this activity that you want to do when we're finished with my choice. Um, Katie, I just wanted to add that what you just touched on reassurance. I oftentimes find myself saying things like, I understand sometimes I cry when I'm sad or sometimes I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. And you just see sometimes the look in the children's eyes, like, you know, like that you relate, that you understand them, that you're human also. And just that little glimpse of connection can like, you know, be change everything. Yes. Yes. Just like a turning point. (laughs) And I think you're really good at that. Maria is a very good example of, relating it to ourselves. I I do hear her using that language in the classroom a lot. And I agree that the look on the child's face is you get me, (laughs) you understand what I'm going through. It's not just um, repeating some of the phrases that I mentioned, which do help. They can help, but connecting with the child is the most important piece So sometimes going as far as saying, sometimes I cry is either going to really make the connection with the child, or it's at least going to be enough of a distraction because they might think, wait a minute, but you're a grown up, you cry, (laughs) you know, but that's enough of a distraction away from their big feelings in the moment that we can more smoothly make that transition. Um, Another thing that we can do is check for understanding of what's next. So Maybe it's using the visual schedule, picture cards about what's coming next. Um, It could also be as simple as the heads up two minutes until transition time. Um, Offering choices. So I think most of us know by now that when we're offering choices, we want it to be win-win. So it's not like you can stay and play Legos or you can come to large group. That's not really a choice. But it's something like, this is what another one of our co-teachers I think does really well. Um, Are you going to skip to large group or are you going to hop like a kangaroo? And the next thing you know, you see this child jumping all the way to our cubby room space where we have our large group time because it's been turned into something fun and silly. And it's, again, enough of a distraction to kind of wait a minute, these are my choices. Let me see which one I want to do. And then they do. Yes. Um, And sometimes Katie peer pressure, I feel like, you know, like the good positive way. They might, you might just say that out loud. I wonder how we will get from point A to point B. I wonder if you will, like you said, jump or hop or tiptoe or whatever the two choices are. And then like children will start moving and then you have that child that was having a difficult time with the transition, want to join in and just mm-hmm. come along with the group. And yes, because that looks like more fun than what they're doing right in the moment. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. We do this a lot with the transition to the bathroom. And I think you did this last year with my daughter. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, she still has a hard time with bathroom break time. and. I don't know, maybe it's just her personality, maybe it's developmental, but there there were ways that Mario would use silly in order to help her through that transition. Because again, it was not a choice. You know, in preschool and we're in a diaper 
and we're making a choice to continue playing, but we know as adults that if you continue to do that without getting changed first, you might have negative consequences like a rash or something like that. So we know that some of these things are for health reasons and we need to move through this transition and we'll make it as fun and quick as possible. Um, But just finding the way that works for your child or for that child, if you're a teacher, getting to know them. And a lot of times it's silly that that works. And one thing that I want to mention is oftentimes we are trying to figure it out. (laughs) And then we talk to the parent and they're like, oh yeah, this is totally how it works at home. And we're like, ah, we should have asked or, you know, you should have told us. So (laughs) what we're really trying this year at one of our professional developments during the summer, we talked about the phrase, tell me more. So anytime, like I am wondering about a child or, you know, any teacher really to start using that phrase so that you can Maybe, you know, there is a trick that works at home and you can somehow implement at school as well. Or it might give you enough clues to what that child responds well to so that you can create your own routine and make the transition fun or silly or -hmm. whatever it needs to be to work for that specific child. We oftentimes talk about, you know, that the child is playing and that's why they don't want to stop, you know, what they're doing. It's fun. But one thing that's also important to remember is that the child can have difficulty if they're feeling hungry or if they're just Mm -hmm. tired. Oftentimes we see this when children are overtired because maybe at home they napped at a certain time and now at school rest time is, you know, slightly off different, a little different than what they're used to, or if they're coming down with something and they're, beginning to feel sick. But all this to say that the child needs to have their basic needs met first uh, in order to have, you know, a successful transition and go throughout their routine successfully. I already talked a little bit about the visual schedule that we use in the classroom that are cards that, you know, have a picture of what each part of the day looks like. But one other thing I thought was important to mention is having a visual timer. Yes. Because if you know that, you know, especially we use it, especially for cleanup time, but we have had in the past for certain children that we had to use individual timers because that's just what that child needed in order mm-hmm. to be successful and transition successfully. That way, you know, we would make an announcement and say, oh, look, I'm setting 20 minutes and a timer. You can play for 20 more minutes and then it will be time to clean up and go home, for example. And then, you know, maybe in five minutes, we will make another, or a child, another child might notice, oh, look, the timer, it's getting smaller. (laughs) You know, so then we would make a statement like, yes, we have about five more minutes, and then reminding them that what happens next. So saying something like, yes, when that timer beeps, the cleanup song will come on, and we will start cleaning up so that we can go home. Um, something I used a lot and still use with my own children is the first then statements. Um, I especially have been using it a lot with my younger son who has a speech delay. And 
I was, you know, explaining this whole great spiel and Katie knows this. I'm so good at like giving all the fluff in my talks and <laughs> a lot of extra things that are maybe not really necessary, especially for a child <laughs> who is just learning to, you know, process speech and speak themselves. Mm-hmm. So the first, you know, so I would say first wash, then eat. So just specific, very to the point um, directions so that they understand and get those um, keywords so that um, they can process it and hopefully transition more successfully. What yeah. is one thing, Katie, that you do really well that you use with your own children or in the classroom? You put me on the spot here. Let me think a minute so I can do a good recording. A do-over, yeah. Yeah. Also, I really need to cough, so hold, please. Go ahead. (laughs) (coughs) My children respond pretty well to having a heads up about what's going to happen next, Um, but they also really love silly So if I have tried giving them a heads up and I think this is going to go great because they know what's going to happen. They told me they understood and here we go. It's time to do this. And then I get some pushback. I turn, turn it into a game somehow. Transition times are difficult, as you mentioned, not only for children, but also for adults. It becomes very frustrating very quickly. I think for the adults, because a lot of times what we're doing is trying to get somewhere. Maybe we have an appointment or we don't want to make somebody else wait for us if we're meeting up. Um, And children don't understand the concept of time and don't know what late is because they don't know what time we were supposed to be there in the first (laughs) place. So, um, you know, turning it into a little silly game about maybe how we're going to get to the car or something like that is, is a way that my children respond really well too. Yes. And sometimes for me, it's hard to think, you know, oh, what, like, I have this idea that this game needs to be this, you know, great thing that takes a lot of thought and planning. But like you said, it could be just simple, you know, are you going to fly to the bathroom or are you going to hop, you know, it's like very, Mm -hmm. keeping it very simple, but it's just enough again to get them from point A to point B. I wanted to share one more thing that what you mentioned earlier made me think of how I try to like set uh, a goal for myself as a parent Mm -hmm. uh, every year. And I kind of reflect on it. And we do that in our professional life, but in my personal life as well. And what you said earlier about, you know, the concept of time and one of the goals in, I want to say in the past two years has been to slow down. You know, oftentimes, you know, especially with the younger one, he's stopping to look at rocks or things on our nature walks. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, keep walking because we have to get home because if we don't get home for your nap, it's not going to be good for anyone. You know, (laughs) but I'm like, okay, stop. You're on this walk right now. Enjoy it in the moment. And, you know, just slowing down and letting them be and trying to then um, figure out ways to get them from looking at the rocks to the car to get home in a way that's not going to set them off, but also that is not going to trigger me as the grown up either. 
Um, um, thinking about this also makes me think back and look back to, you know, this month of September that just passed. And I feel like I was trying every single trick up my sleeve and at my house since school has started. And it just made me realize that after school restraint collapse was happening big time and the struggle was very real. Yes. Yes. We've had it at our house too. It's been really hard to explain to my husband who um, did go to school for education, but definitely not early childhood. So I, you know, I think it looks very different in high schoolers than it does for young children who just kind of let it all go. So tell us what it looks like at your house. Well, nice way of saying it would be, yeah, there are lots of big feelings. But (laughs) since we agreed that, you know, our podcast is going to be the raw truth, there was a lot of crying for what it seemed like in a moment to me, like, why are you crying? There is no apparent reason. We just Mm -hmm. walked into our house. Like, I didn't even ask you to do anything, (laughs) you know, or there was a moments of anger or full blown meltdowns when we would just walk in and my younger one would just lay on his back and start kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that triggers the brother and that triggers me. And at this point I'm like, okay, what, what, what do I do in that moment? It's very hard um, for Mm -hmm. myself to remember that I am their safe person there, you know, and they've been collecting all this stress and they've been going through the emotions all day at school with, you know, they're getting adjusted to being at school from being with me all summer to being now being at school, getting used to, you know, new people in their classes, maybe their peers, their teachers. And now they're finally releasing all that that's, that's been held. And Mm -hmm. while I know right now, yes, that's a privilege and an honor. And I feel honored to be their safe person. But in that exact moment when it's happening, it feels like complete opposite. Yes. Oh my gosh. I can relate so much to this. I feel like this year, the after school restraint collapse has been so much more real than it was last year or the year before. This is only my daughter's third year of being in a school setting. And I guess I had it good in preschool. So I hope any of our listeners who have preschool children out there are having it good because when it shifts, it's exactly like what you're describing, Maria. It's very big and out of nowhere because you're exactly right. She's been on all day. She's been almost performing, um, holding it together, being well-behaved, you know, we get all of this feedback from their teachers, right? That they're so good. Yes. Yes. Well, there's something that comes along with that and it's kind of suppression a little bit. It's, it's not having those big feelings for teacher and saving them all for whoever the safe person is who usually um, wears the name mama, usually. So when we get home or sometimes on the way to the car in the parking lot, uh, luckily we leave after all of the other families as teachers, we're cleaning up the room and, and, and getting ready. And I have to tell you today, after school, before we even left the building, 
it was a struggle. And I had to carry her out to the car. We had to have snacks immediately. Um, food helps a lot. Fulfilling requests like being carried. That usually is not a request, but for whatever reason today, it was a need. And I'm yeah. so grateful that she was able to express that to me so that I could fulfill that need because it was almost an immediate smile once I did pick her up. Um, I was of course, just it going to say, week. Katie, that that's awesome that she was able to tell you in that moment. That's how we yes. tell parents like that's growth. You know, it but is. It in is. That it moment is. you're just like, oh, OK, just get in the car. Okay, I'll carry you. I can't <laughs> well, carry you. You're smiling. You that's be. good. <laughs> It's how it used to be. I used to say, come on, come on, hurry up. You know, all of the things that I know are not great and are not helpful and are just making me more stressed out too, because I'm calling more attention. I'm focusing more on, we're not doing this fast enough. We're not getting there. We have to go and pick up my son. So I want to be on time for that. She doesn't care, <laughs> you know, yeah. she's having this collapse with her safe person. And it's important as the adult to remain calm so that you can be soothing. It's the hardest thing to do, because like I just said, you want to say, come on, come on, hurry up. But you have to pause. You have to realize that their brain is not fully developed yet. And yours is. So it's on you. <laughs> now it's your turn to be on like she has been all day, right? And take a deep breath, stay calm and say, do you need a snack? I, I usually lead with that because that's usually what my daughter needs. Um, it, you know, and starting to ask the question, do you need a hug? Do you need me to carry you? Finding out whatever is going to be soothing so that you can smoothly move from point A to point B. Yes, I agree 100%. In that moment, for me, the thoughts that come to my mind often are, you know, because I am their safe person. And I feel like I have been on, you know, as a teacher, and now I have to be on as a mom, yes. that right away, my thoughts come popping in my head and something along the lines of, uh, what about me? Am I hungry? Do I feel like walking to the car? And I know it sounds crazy. It's like what you just said. I know that their brain is not fully developed, but mine is. But in that moment, even as grownups, we can get stuck in that fight or flight response. So having those tools and those phrases ready, like I snacks work really well with both of my children as well. And I'll say, oh, let's see what snack you're going to choose from the car. Or I wonder what you're going to do with your brother when we get home. Are you going to ride a bike or are you going to draw with chalk? And again, that can be enough of a distraction to just start talking about that and making mm -hmm. that plan. But then big thing is that I have to remember that I said that. So guess what? <laughs> if I come home and, you know, it might start raining or sprinkling and I don't really feel like being out there. If I made that plan with that child that we will be riding bikes, we better be riding bikes because mm -hmm. that's that's how they learn that they can trust us. And we, you know, continue to be that safe person for them as well. Yes. Um, another thing that was really hard for me once my older one started being in elementary school was the after school activities. And I wanted to touch just a little bit on that 
because I felt like because of social media and everything being, you know, so much more out there, I feel like than when we were children, maybe Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm seeing, oh, all of the children that are my son's age are in, you know, I don't know, soccer or are doing basketball or this and that. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. almost feeling like, well, what is he doing? Is he doing anything? And I have to just remind myself that I know my child and I know them best and that I need to do what works for him and for our family, a little bit what we talked about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And what works best for us is limiting those after-school activities. We can maybe do one now that he's a little older things twice a week, but that's it. That's our limit. And I just want to encourage our listeners to, if, you know, doing something after school every day is working for you, you rock, go you. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's not, don't be afraid to just do what works and limit that uh, because growth will happen. Change will happen. Their attention span will increase. um, A lot more independence happens once they're older as well. Um, sleep, you know, maybe becomes a thing that happens daily and not every few days, such as when they're so little. So um, I just want to empower everyone to really do what works best for you in the moment you're in right now in your life. Yes, that's such a good point because you're exactly right. We didn't have, or our, our parents rather, didn't have both the benefit of everything being so accessible, but also the stigma of everything being so accessible because you can see into others' lives. And it's hard to remember that it's not all really real. Um, I love the, I don't know, influencers, whatever these um, personalities on social media who share the perfect picture and then turn around and share where all of the stuff went in order to get that perfect picture, (laughs) right? Because we know that's not reality, especially with young children. Um, We also do only one extracurricular activity and that's just for my daughter. My, My son doesn't have any yet. He's just about to be two and a half. He doesn't have a need right now to do anything. Um, And because I'm at school all day, that includes story time at the library. We don't even do that with him right now. We do things together as a family on the weekend, but as far as like dance class, for example, that's what she does once a week. That's our only commitment right now. And that's what works for our family because it, it can be a lot. And I agree with you. If people are doing it every day, um, I want to be friends with you so that you can teach me how you're doing this. (laughs) (laughs) But it just doesn't work for our family. And that's okay. Yes. Um, And I was, you know, there was a point that I was like, well, how is it fair? You know, I'm big on like fairness and, you know, I'm doing something for one child, but not the other. And then I stopped myself and said, you know, who needs this? Like, does the child need this or do you need this as a parent, mm-hmm. you know, to feel more fair or to feel more like you're doing your part. And that just reminded me, Katie, when you said, you know, that there is no need and yes. that's it. There's no further explanation necessary. There is no need period. 
Right, right. So let's pretend that our listeners are just like us <laughs> and they're not these magical unicorns who do something all five days of the week. Um, and we need ideas of things to do after school on a, on a weeknight. So in my house, we do dance parties a lot. I think you do too, because yes, you sent me a link to a pretty cool light, uh, like a DJ light that we have added to our dance parties that you already had going on at your house. <laughs> um, it can help kind of release those emotions that, that they've felt like they've been keeping bottled up all day long at school as they've been on. Um, normalizing their feelings is another thing. I learned the phrase, oh my gosh, I wish I could give credit to wherever I learned this phrase. It was somewhere on Instagram. I know that. Um, one of the parenting accounts that I follow, but I'm not afraid of, insert name of feeling here, right? I'm not afraid of sad. You can be sad around me. And it just lets them know I'm not going anywhere. You can be sad. You can have your big feelings. I'm still here. I'm still, I still want to be a safe person for you through these feelings. And then when you're finished, we can do whatever it is that's more fun than being sad. But sometimes you just need to sit and be sad or mad for a while and just hold space, right? Give them the room to kind of go through their feelings and cool down a little bit. Yes. As soon as I heard Katie use this in, in our classroom, the first time I think I ever heard it, <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid of man. You can be mad. And I was like, yes, why didn't I ever say this before? This is it. This yes. is what I've been looking I for. I wish I came up with time. it. I didn't, but it was a good, it's a good phrase. So please everybody use it. It, it works. It's like a magic phrase because yeah. it does tell them I'm not going anywhere. Yes. And even like I have used that in the concept with my older son, of a lot of times he comes up with the word now nervous or worried. Mm. So mm -hmm. I'll say, well, I'm not scared of nervous or worry. tell me more. And, you know, now that he's able to, or, you know, before we would do like, what does your worry look like? You know, mm -hmm. draw it out, make it silly. Um, it's okay. Just giving them that space to express what they're feeling, especially once they're able to, um, name that feeling and just being there with them. Sometimes it's all they need. Um, Katie, when you mentioned, you know, the Instagram account and getting learning this phrase on there, it made me think of something else that we do at home. And Katie knows this and about me. And she always kind of jokes that I say that doing dishes and having my hands in water <laughs> is soothing to me. Yeah. And she's like, well, you can come to my house anytime. Because you know? I hate it. <laughs> And even at school, I'm like, oh, there's dishes. I'll wash them. No problem. Um, mm -hmm. But it also works for my children. And I believe that when my, when I first became a mom and I read, it was like a meme or something online that said something like, if, you know, the baby's crying, put, put them in water or take them outside, I think along those lines. Yes. And I still, still do that. Those are along with the dance parties. We do get outside. Um, even in the snow, in the cold, we live in Michigan. So yes, we get very cold winters and snowy winters mm -hmm. as well, but we just get the appropriate outdoor gear and we go out 
and then water and you know whether that's they don't really need a bath but they just need to sit there and play and that will give me a chance to just be next to them keep them safe but just be instead of you know trying to um correct those behaviors that might be happening or those forms of communication they're trying to tell me that they're having a hard time with something just giving them access to that water is enough oftentimes to to regulate them so Mm -hmm. um helping them co-regulate um in that in that sense as well and now that they're a little older sometimes i'll just do the dishes and then fill it up with some water and some bubbles and they'll squeeze the sponges and play a little bit there and it's like a reset button it's like hitting a reset and then we're ready to go get in our pjs and do our bedtime routine after that Mm -hmm. Um, I really hope that if you're experiencing similar things at your house, like the ones we've discussed, um, I really hope that, and we both really hope that you try some of the strategies that we shared. Yes. And we hope that you found this episode helpful. You can find us on Instagram by searching for the still learning podcast, subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review and join us next month for a new topic. We're teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. Because no one is perfect. And we're all still learning.